The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is We Watched a Thing and I'm here to tell you, we watched a thing. A thing that many would argue you and I should have watched quite a long time ago. Yeah, so fun story. Um, this is a patron request and neither of us had seen it. Um, I, I remember well this film coming out and didn't see it at the cinemas and then never caught up on it because, quite frankly, word from everyone I knew was pretty bad. Yeah, and yet it's lived on in the zeitgeist for a very long time. Like, and maybe part of that is just because it's it's a King adaptation done by Darabont. So, it has that kind of legacy where people kind of lump it in with Shawshank, which is still the number one film on IMDb. So, maybe that's part of it. Let's get right into it then. Green Mile, 1999 American fantasy drama film written and directed by Frank Darabont and based on Stephen King's 96 novel of the same name. It stars Tom Hanks, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, David Morse, Bonnie Hunt, Doug Hutchison and James Cromwell. And what is it about, Toph? Um, Well, it's a kind of mystical drama about the episodic happenings of a death row ward in... I want to say Louisiana. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> Killing it. Did the homework or, or just watched the movie. In One 1935. So, from what you, your kind of preamble there, it sounds like you went in with very little expectations. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I had just, I'd never been fussed about the fact that I hadn't seen this film. It, it To me, it felt kind of weird that I hadn't seen it because it's just a movie that a lot of people have seen. Yeah. And as you say, it still has kind of some cultural currency, if you like. But I just wasn't fussed. Uh, my assumption was that um, it wasn't particularly good and that the only reason to see it was if you were interested in watching the Michael Clark Duncan breakout happen on screen in front of you. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I quite enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I loved the crap out of it. I I also had not gotten around to it, which is strange because I am a big Stephen King fan. I remember reading the the, the novel, which is actually split into six quite small books. Um, it was very serialized. And I remember very much enjoying that. It's been a long time. But I had never gotten around to the film. And quite frankly, for me- this beats out Shawshank, honestly, if if I was going to put them head to head and compare them as the two King adaptations by Darabont set in a prison. <laughs> <laughs> really spreading his wings, wasn't he? Yeah, this one? Um, yeah I, I absolutely loved this film. You can really imagine a world where, um, or, or imagine a, a 1998, if you like, where he was, where Darabont was approached and was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm just rehashing. I'm not going to, you know, adapt a Stephen King film set in a prison. And then they, like, showed him the check and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know much about the Darabont-King relationship? No. So, do you know about Stephen King's Dollar Babies? I, you've told me about them before, yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking we should get in on one. So, Stephen King, because he is such a prolific writer and because so many of his works have been made into films, he holds aside 
quite a large majority of his short stories for what he calls dollar babies, which means that indie filmmakers, film students can buy the rights to these stories for a dollar each to produce as a film. (laughs) And many of them are worth most of that dollar. Yeah. For the most part, um, the, the clause is that they can't be released publicly that they're meant to be you know for students to kind of work and and they all you know you have to send a copy to to Stephen King and and he keeps it Darabont had made one of these dollar babies the woman in the room which I guess Stephen King liked so much he let him release it in 93 and it was a semi-finalist for the Academy Awards and that is how the relationship as a, as a short is that as, right? as a short yes yeah right and that is how the relationship between King and Darabont started. And so, King gave him the rights to Shawshank um, for free and said, go ahead and do this. It was just like a like a handshake, basically. I suppose the studio would be happy they didn't have to front up for Shawshank because it then made no money. But presumably Green Mile then with the kind of cachet of, hey, it's the band getting back together. Yeah. One would imagine that their resourcing for Green Mile was- some way in front of Shawshank. Yeah, you'd think so, yeah. I think there's um there's probably evidence of that in fact in when you look at particularly early on in the film where there's a lot of shots that are outdoors and you look at those shots and how clearly selective they were at the time of day that they shot at the open like the beginning of this film is a re- I mean it's actually broadly a really good looking film. Mm. These exterior shots at the early part of the film is just really good looking stuff due to when it was shot. Like clearly they were like, we're not just going to go out at midday and roll the cameras. It's like, we're just going to, we're going to be a pain in the ass and wait for magic hour. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and studio, you're just going to have to front up the money for everyone hanging out for that long. Yeah. I mean, cause magic hour generally lasts less than an hour. Honestly, like it's called magic hour, but you're probably like, realistically, what, what would you say you're looking at about 27 to 35 minutes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends on the season in winter. It's like whole seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> um, I agree. I very much like the, the look of the film and I think it, um, it it quite holds up when you think about how old this film is. It doesn't look dated to me, which some films from around this era very much do. You can look at them, you can listen to them, and you go, oh, this is a film from the 90s. Um, this film very much seems timeless. And I don't know if part of that is that it is set in 1935, so maybe it doesn't have that extra baggage of, you know, the 90s aesthetic. But I actually just think it's a really nice-looking, timeless film. Yeah, it probably hit at a pretty good time because in in 99, like, you know, this is the same year as The Phantom Menace comes out, which is like one of the early ones to push that, okay, can we do this with a digital camera? Yeah. And now you look back at the image of A Phantom Menace and it was like, well, not really yet, no. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> like, quite there, George. <laughs> even, even ignoring visual effects, which of course date as time goes on, like you just look at the stuff in Phantom Menace that is real and it's just- like, it's just a bad image. Yeah. Um, whereas this, of course, you just at that point, like, the tipping point hasn't come yet with digital. The only way they were ever going to shoot this movie is on film. Yeah. And that's probably held it in really good stead for the past 20-odd years. Can we talk casting for a moment? Absolutely. Now, you know that I've never been the biggest fan of Mr. Hanks. That's true. <laughs> uh, there are very few roles I've enjoyed him in. Woody is probably about it, and maybe that's because you can't see his face. <laughs> um, but- when 
Hanks was in the conversation for this film, Stephen King was very happy because apparently he wrote the novel with Hanks in mind. No kidding. No kidding. And I must say, this is easily my top Hanks performance. I think that he is absolutely perfect in this role. I think that the character is supposed to have this certain level of kind of naive charm that Tom Hanks has. And maybe that's why I haven't really liked him in a lot of roles. I don't I don't ever feel like there's a lot of depth to Tom Hanks, you know? Like he's he's known in Hollywood as like this lovable friendly guy. And I, I think that that tends to be what he plays and how he comes across in movies as well. And there's not really a lot of dimension there. But I actually think in this role that that works really well. And I just think he completely nails it. I loved his performance in this for the first time I've ever enjoyed a Tom Hanks performance. So funny that. So as far as I can um, understand it, I'm on the side of the argument that's the rest of the world <laughs> in liking Tom Hanks. Um I don't love this Tom Hanks role. You're kidding. Really? And, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's that somewhere in my brain I can't buy him as a death row guard. Maybe it was at some point I was doing some kind of internet scrolling and I saw um, William Hurt's name mentioned around this role and I was like, oh, my God, I would love <laughs> William Hurt in this role. I would absolutely love it. But it's nowhere near peak Hanks for me. So, that's funny. This, for me, is easily his best performance. I think the character- is, And you know, I'm a massive Stephen King fan, and I think the thing that he does absolutely better than anybody else is create characters. And I think that that's why I didn't even really feel the three-hour-plus runtime of, of this film, because I think the characters are just so strong- that I could I could watch them happily for I could watch Tom Hanks piss about twenty times, which luckily he, he does do in this movie. I've I've never seen somebody take so many pisses on screen. Um, I was a bit let down by that because you'd mess it. You watched this before I did, and I was getting a kind of real time commentary on uh, Tom Hanks relieving himself in the film. So I was actually really underwhelmed when I came to watch it at at how little of that action oh, there was mate. compared to what I was expecting. <laughs> he he does at least ten times. He just flops out his willy and has a, has a slash. I was surprised he ever had his pants on from the way you were describing it. Um, um, but it's, it's funny you mentioned the like the runtime and the kind of episodic nature because if this if Green Mile's made now, it's like eight parts on Netflix. See, and this is the crazy thing is that audiences are actually more used to longer movies these days. When you, when you actually think about it, not a chance in 99 would any of the MCU movies been over two hours, right? But yeah, that's, not, that's 90 minutes. But it is so funny how the audience mindset has changed. For some reason in 2020, we are much more attuned to popcorn films being longer and dramatic pieces like this. If they're if they're longer than an hour and a half, as you say, it's a fucking miniseries. <laughs> Unless you're Scorsese, so many of like the little critical darlings, like you know your your Minaris of this world. Oh yeah, are now these Sub shorter, yeah. smaller things. And the and as you said, the big popcorn fair is just getting longer and longer. So that now, when one comes out and it's two and a half hours, it's you're not even shocked. It's like yeah, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. Or or in. Zack Snyder's Justice League's case, um, roughly three days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I did not feel the runtime of this film at all. Did you, How did you feel about that? 
Oh, uh, look, I felt it to a degree, but I like a long movie. So yeah. I it, I was not remotely upset at just settling in for the long haul with it. Um, going back to the cast, as you raised, absolutely thrilled uh, to see my man Barry Pepper um, teaming up with Tom Hanks in short order because they were in Saving Private Ryan together at, at, a, at around this time. Um, Barry Pepper is probably... In terms of actors who, like, you bought a ton of stock in when you first saw them, I, like, I had all the Barry Pepper stock and it's now worth abs- absolutely nothing. My man Barry just didn't really- <laughs> His career just didn't pan out the way that I wanted it to for him. I'm a massive Barry Pepper fan. Um, it's a fun name when- to say, too, Barry Pepper. <laughs> when 25th Hour came out, I was like, it's here, it's happening, it's happening. <laughs> the- the- <laughs> it's the time of the Pepper. Uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But always, always thrilled to see him. I love that guy. Yeah, I think he's great in this. I actually think that all of the the cast is great in this. I mean, as you said, this is the the kind of awakening of Michael Clark Duncan. And I had heard so much about that performance, obviously. And I mean, it is a beautiful performance. And again, I think so much of that comes down to the writing, both by King and Darabont, who are both, you know, brilliant writers. I just think that character is so- well written and so interesting, and yeah, Michael Clark Duncan Duncan is just great in that role. It's a very serious rig. Oh, jeez, I mean, there's, there's no man, way isn't he? You, can't, you can't not talk about it. He's a, it's a very serious specimen. I mean, jeez, you just want to be curled up in those <laughs> arms, don't you? <laughs> Incredible. Um, it's a great bit of set design in the film, and this happens. This needs to happen. More than once because Michael Clark Duncan is about the same height as David Morse, who I actually did not realize was as big a dude as he is until he's standing next to Tom Hanks. And I'm like, wow, David Morse, big dude. Um, and then, of course, elsewhere, you've got um, everyone's favorite farmer from Babe. Um, <laughs> his name is just completely James Cromwell. James Cromwell, thank you, who's a seriously tall dude. Yeah. Um, uh, like James Cromwell does have a couple of inches on Michael Clark Duncan, um, but it's shot quite cleverly in the even old long drink Cromwell, <laughs> as I believe he was called, um, is is looking up at this just a mountain beast of a man. Of a man. Yeah, just- <laughs> um, but there's things like so his um, you know Duncan's cell is mm. smaller than the others so that he yeah. just fills it more and his bed is actually a bit shorter than normal so that like he literally can't lie down straight in the thing. Now probably they probably don't need to be that small because the guy is freaking massive. Yeah. But they do a great job of accentuating the size of this dude. Yeah. Who's the kind of like I suppose King's um reimagining of a Saint Christopher, which becomes very apparent later on. Yeah. In the film, become very direct. Yeah, so let's talk then about the magical realism elements of the film. Um, it is, I mean, I guess you could define it as a fantasy film in some ways, and there is lots of symbolism. As you say, St. Christopher, there's clearly some religious elements going on. Did all of that work for you? Because that's the kind of stuff that, for me, I generally love on page, and it very rarely translates as well to screen. I largely liked it. The um, the way we find out about Coffee's gifts, um, I think, is done well. I like that it's often done in a reasonably 
understated. I mean, yeah, understating. Like there are light bulbs going and stuff, but yeah, it's not. You know, you don't. He's not like casting spells. Yes, it's, yeah. You, you see, you see the outward representation of what this guy's able to do, and I actually think it's really well done, with the exception for me of of the bugs coming out of the mouth afterwards. I'm like, this, I quite frankly think is quite silly. Yep. Yep. No, I completely agree with that. I think that, as you say, most of it is so understated. And, just, you know, like when he cures Hanks of his of his infection, like his bladder. Grabs, grabs him on the taint. Yeah. <laughs> like that is very underplayed in a lot of ways. For me, when the bugs come out of the mouth, I agree. That kind of just goes to the next level um, and kind of takes away the realism of the magic realism, I think kind of sounds silly when you say it but i I totally get what you're saying yeah Um, and yeah for for me i was like oh yeah that was really well done that was a nice moment and now there's bugs coming out of his mouth yeah (laughs) yeah and and unfortunately like that's one thing that like the cgi of that yes i wouldn't i was gonna say it's by no means bad for 1999 but it just has aged at this point yes definitely uh another good bit of set design and well and really just writing like and directing is the state of the restraint room that they first go in following the mouse and that this thing is just being used as a storage room, which actually is just a really nice bit of character information for Tom Hanks's character, that they have this room where they can just throw people if they're out of control. But, oh, we, we just find out that it must have been, like, God knows how long it's been since this guy's actually had to use this place. Yeah. Because, as we know, and this just reinforces it, this guy is just incredibly civil and treats people, some of whom have done horrific things, yeah. with an incredible degree of civility. And, yeah, lo and behold, that works. Yeah, and that's that's why I was a little surprised earlier when you said that maybe you had trouble buying him as a, as a death row guard. Because I think that's one of the things about the characterization is that he's not He's not what you typically think of as a as a death row guard. And I think that that's exactly why the casting works so well. Because, as you say, he's incredibly civil. And I think it would be so easy to- And I don't know, maybe some people do read this movie as a bit of a statement against capital punishment. I actually kind of don't think that's what the movie is doing at all, really. I think I think the statement of the movie is to be kind to- Everybody, as you say, some of these people are horrendous and maybe some of these people do deserve capital punishment or some form of punishment, but it doesn't mean that you can't treat them like humans. I think that that's really what the movie is trying to say. For me, there's no way to come out of this film thinking that King is pro capital punishment. Well, no, um, no. Like, particularly, like, I mean, the the climax of the film involves an innocent man being put to death. Yes. Um, something which happens in real life. And as I understand, it was in by no means a direct. Uh, it's not like coffee is. Well, clearly, like coffee's a walking miracle. He's not directly based on on a real person from yeah. that kind of time. But, there, yeah, there was a. There was a young black man from I think I think the that kind of time who who was who was a specific reference who was you know put to death and then proved innocent which happens yeah. like it happens so for me it's impossible to come away without thinking that Stephen King and I are on the same side of capital punishment um, that is the state shouldn't kill people because killing people is a really shit thing to do yes. Um, <laughs> 
Well, I personally like the way that Darabont handles um, every scene that involves um, Old Sparky. Yeah. It's interesting to read that um, Tom Hanks wouldn't sit in it. In, in the chair. Yeah, right. Just looked he was, too real for it. Yeah, him. and he was just like, nah, I just, I need to stay on this side of it. And also that thing, just nah, not for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be a pretty fucking awful way to go. I mean, yeah, wouldn't. Especially be. with a dry sponge, as it turns out. Oh, see that scene. Uh, one thing I was surprised by was how, um, how full on this movie got at times. I was not expecting that at all. Um, that- moment really took me by surprise as did the moment when you see the flashback of coffee with the two dead girls in his arms and there's just blood everywhere i just i didn't go into this movie thinking that that was what this movie was for some reason i thought that this even though it's set in a prison i thought it was your more kind of uplifting happy i I don't know why i had that connotation with it and like i say i'd read the the book but it was such a long time ago i had virtually zero memory of it it was it was quite shocking that scene with the dry sponge. <laughs> this must have been a pretty big break for Sam Rockwell, I would have thought. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. This must have been one of his earlier. Is this the same year as Galaxy Quest? Is that 99? Yes. Love me some Sam Rockwell. Um, oh, who doesn't? <laughs> I think at this stage of his career, he may have been, I'm going to say maybe he was trying just a tad too hard. To be like, look how talented I like. I just think, <laughs> I like, but I, look, I don't think he's bad in the film, but like, it is kind of wound up to eleven. And for me, if it was just dialed back a little bit, I think I would actually like it more. Because <laughs> there's a lot of what he does that I think is really good, and then there's times where I'm just like, oh, steady on Sam. <laughs> Bonnie Hunt is is quite good in the film as well for the short amount of time she's in. It's it's another very heavily slanted male film. I was going to say, there's no woman in this film that isn't the wife of a major character, is there? No, nah, it certainly wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. There's no women talking to each other. That's faux show. She talks only to her husband, as it should be. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually, to me, a little disappointing that she's not in it more, because I actually think that she's very good in, in the few scenes she's in. And else, another another wife in the film uh, who was having a, a big 1999 is the one of the cancer patients from Fight Club. She's Gary Sinise's wife in the film. Right. So, I've now seen her in two films, <laughs> both from 1999. Um, absolutely cannot. She's the one in Fight Club that's, um, you know, Mer- Meryl Streep's skeleton if you smile and be nice to everyone at a party. That's yeah. her. <laughs> it's pretty convenient that- the guy guilty of Coffee's crime is like in the next literally cell. next door. <laughs> I know. It is quite convenient. That's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big country. Big state. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there he is. Got caught. Like he must have been caught for, I don't even know what he was caught for. Got, got caught for some other crime. Yeah. Like a week. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, this guy was on a serious tear. <laughs> One of my least favorite bits of the film actually involves it, it, it's the revelation that that Sam Rockwell's character is the man guilty of Coffee's crime. Well, not Coffee's crime, the crime that Coffee has yeah. been 
done for. That flashback sequence where it, I, I, I don't know exactly how they filmed it. It seems like it's running at like there's 12 frames a second or something like that. It's just a, this kind of, you know, shortcut look of just so you know, you're not watching, you know, the real world kind of thing, which I may, maybe it wouldn't have bothered me in 99, but at this point is just for me become like such a staple and cliche yeah. of, of flashbacky type stuff that I'm just like, oh, I, it was kind of eye rolly for me. I, I agree completely. And I think the biggest problem for me with that is it's so unnecessary. Like we, we know that that is a flashback just narratively. Like the guy is currently in prison. Like we, we've seen the whole magic touch thing. We know that this is flashing back to a memory or, a, you know, we just literally don't need it at all. You know, there are times where I don't mind the whole, you know, going to sepia, for example. I don't mind that when it's necessary, but it, yeah, I agree with you here. It was completely the wrong choice. People sometimes complain that like only one kind of film gets nominated for Best Picture, but 99's kind of wild in that you have both The Green Mile, which yes, it's a dramatic film, but a like a fantastically dramatic film, and The Sixth Sense. Yeah. And this is back when there was, in my opinion, the correct number of nominees <laughs> in five. It's two out of five were in some way otherworldly. And that's in, I mean, truly one of the great cinema years in past decades, 99. Like the amount of alter, the, the different groups of five you could do. Yeah. To either, either make it makes, you could, you know, you could either try and make it look quote unquote normal or you could just do your own favorite like the the different kind of wrinkles you could do in the 99 best picture race is actually really fun if you just want to go full nerdy and just see what could have been nominated yeah i mean even looking at what was nominated as you say the fact that the sixth sense a genre piece got nominated you know looking at the 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 nominations for adapted screenplay that this was up for you had election one of my all-time favourite comedies, Alexander Payne, based on the novel by Tom Perota. Um, Talented Mr. Ripley was was that year as well. Not a favourite of mine, but I know a lot of people enjoy it. Um, yeah, it was- I agree with you. Good year for cinema. <laughs> and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this was the only Best Picture nominee that wasn't um, nominated for directing as well, uh, because Spike Jones was in, direct, in the directing category for being John Malkovich. And Darabont misses out for this, um, which I'm not like totally sour on. Like it's it's a well directed film. It's a kind of you know nicely presented kind of formal filmmaking style that I actually really enjoy. But I like I didn't watch this and then go ah oh, Darabont was robbed. No, I agree. And I actually think that Darabont's biggest strength is in his writing and particular adapting. Like he has a very good skill for. For taking source material, I think, and and nutting out what needs to make it to screen and how you how you keep the story. And some people might say this film is too long. I, I think that he struck the balance completely here. Um, it was funny after this, I decided to go and I completely forgot that he had written uh, 1994's Frankenstein with Bobby De Niro as yeah. the monster. <laughs> And uh, Darabont came out saying, this is the best film I've ever written and the worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> and he's not far off. <laughs> like, again- Who, who, direct, who directed that? Um, oh, fuck. What's his name? Old mate who also starred in it. Oh, Branner. 
Yes, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. And it, it's it's such a quiet story and the screenplay is adapted very well. Like, it is so faithful to the source material, probably to a fault, because most people I don't think really know what the source material is. Well, that's true. Like, most people think that Frankenstein is the monster. So. That's right. Yeah. But it is so over the top in the way it's directed. Like, it is It is such a loud film. Like, everything is- there is music under the entire thing. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Green Mile, like, as we said, really, yeah, very, very nice looking film. Very appealing looking film. Probably- um in terms of like the fantastical elements of this film, a death row ward looking this nice might actually be top of the heap. <laughs> um, the same same director of photography uh, as Con Air, so oh classic. You know we talk about the kind the kind of you know the ability to make iconic images and certainly the image of Tom Hanks with the light bulb kind of you know exploding behind him. That's like like that genuinely has like lived on. Oh yeah, in, in the public psyche over the past. 20 years, certainly not as much as Nick Cage's mullet in the breeze as he steps that's what, that's out onto I, the tarmac. That's what I was just going to say. That shot of him on the tarmac with his hair blowing in the wind and he's kind of doing that smell the fart look where he's just kind of looking off. It's absolutely a classic yeah. shot. It's, you, Yeah, you want to talk about some gifted cinematography. I know. I mean, how nicely does he shoot Tom Hanks having a piss? <laughs> like, I'm not even joking here. There is a scene of him out in the snow in the middle of the night where he's pained on his face. And he completely resists temptation to move the camera down and, and look at the dick. And it's, just, it's really nicely shot. <laughs> Fun fact. So, Harry Dean Stanton's in a few scenes in this film and is actually really quite delightful in it. Yeah. There's characters in this film, Harry and a Dean Stanton. You are correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the characters were probably named after him. Like, Stephen King is, is a big pop culture head. It wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so, would you, like, it's been 22 years now. Would you, like, how, how, on, how keen would you be if, like, if Netflix said we're doing- Green Mile in eight parts with my guy Kyle Chandler in the lead. Like, would you would you be here for it? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd be here for a remake of this film. And you know, it's funny. I know people are very against remakes, but it, it's interesting. I'm a big fan of the U.S. Office, which I know that you haven't watched yet. I love how you always say yet, like you think I'm going to get to it one day. I still think that you really should. And you and I, you know that we're both gigantic fucking fans of the original Ricky Gervais show. The US office is completely different and you kind of have to separate from it. But it was funny. I was listening to an interview with Greg Daniels who adapted it. And when he was trying to get writers to come on to do the show with him and everyone was too afraid, nobody would do it because they were like, um, we're going to fuck it up. You know, like it's, it's not going to work. We can't adapt this. It's too good. Why would we do this? And he said, well, why would you remake something shitty? Like, if you have the chance to, to make something, don't you want it to be the best possible thing it could be? Why would you take something shitty and remake it? Of course, you're going to remake something that's already good. And I don't know. Since I heard that, I, I completely understand where he's coming from. Like, there's all this talk about, oh, you know, you can't touch that. It's perfect. I think if you take it out of that lens and, and view it as something different, I, I kind of don't think there's anything that shouldn't be 
touched. You know, as long as as long as people bring something different to it. What I think doesn't work, you look at like Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake where it is shot for shot. That is a pointless exercise. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the point of that is not even the film. Like, doing it that way itself was kind of a comment and the yes. the end product is kind of almost beside the point. Yes. Um, but, yeah, there's plenty of great things that people- Like, uh, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz is a remake. Yeah, absolutely. Like, do people, want, do people want to give that back? Yeah, and honestly, why not remake it again? <laughs> All right, me and Kyle Chandler, we're doing this. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I mean, not Kyle Chandler. I mean, someone someone better. Hey. <laughs> I, w- I would be all for this. Here's, w- here's what I would do if I was remaking it, though. Um, personally, I'm, I'm doing away with the framing device of this film. I don't like it. So, framing devices are a mixed bag, obviously. You think of, for example, The Princess Bride. Fucking classic. And it adds to the story. I actually quite liked the framing device here as well, and it is easy to forget that it's there because from memory, it's only at the beginning and end. Is that correct? It's not like The Princess Bride where it cuts back at any point. So, it's easy to forget that it's there. But I think that really the point of the framing device is to show the the future, really. It's It's to frame it in the perspective that he has now lived this long and doesn't know how much longer he has- yeah, I think to me it 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 works quite well. It's it's almost that he was both blessed and cursed. Like he was healed, but he's watched everyone around him die now. Yeah, and as he was explaining that, I mean, just literally explaining it. Yes. Um, I was like, I don't care. Like we reached the high point of this film. The climax happened a little while ago. It's a great scene. There's a come down from it. Fucking roll credits. Yeah, right. Okay. That's totally fair. Like I, I, I was, was like, here here I am watching one of my least favorite bits of the film, and this is what this is what you're leaving me with. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Billy. So just before we wrap up here on Green Mile, um, I need to ask you, um, who takes out this week's Wayne Grow Cup for the actor who didn't realise they were filming? This is another week completely unprepared. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna need you to do? I'm going to need you to message me just just ch- cheeky little reminder. You know? um, all right. Let me think here. And you can't you can't say that Tom Hanks just needed to take a pee. That, That's I'm, I'm no, I'm that was exactly, too easy. That's, that is. So, sorry. So that is too easy. That is That's exactly too, that, what I was going to say, though. No, the, that low hanging fruit. <laughs> I, I'm banning. Oh, man. OK, let's see here. Who didn't know they were filming? You ready for this? Mr. Jingles. <laughs> That's just a piss weak answer. That mouse, that mouse had no idea what he was doing, mate. They, well, yeah. just, they just let a mouse out of a box and, and hit roll. <laughs> and, it, and it just turned out that it could do tricks. Yeah, absolutely. So, they incorporated that into the story. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually weren't <laughs> expecting that, is my understanding of it. It, it, was, it was just meant to be a very friendly mouse. And then they found out he could do things. And it was like, well, fuck, keep rolling. Yeah. That's actually, that's why the film ended up over three hours. Be- <sighs> because they added in all that stuff of the mouse. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, the Wangro Cup doesn't go to the actor who's tr- who <laughs> intentionally trod on the mouse because he just saw it one day and was like, ah, fuck. Yeah, well, that, that's right. Yeah, he had no idea. <laughs> yeah, so there's your answer. <laughs> so, it was the original Percy mouse. Wetmore. 
is 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 the winner of the Wayne Grove Cup that the mouse specifically that gets squashed because someone was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> yes, yes. Because then then they had to get in the actor mouse to replace the dead one. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it would have been easier to just cut that scene. It would have been, yeah, but that's not how Darabont rolls. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, so how are you scoring this? I enjoyed it. I'm a seven out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I'm an eight. I I very much enjoyed this film. As I said, I didn't really feel the runtime would happily watch it again, would be all down for a remake. And I think for me, this is definitely as strong as Shawshank, if not possibly stronger. Look, I think Shawshank being top of the IMDb 250 is ludicrous. Yeah. But only because I'm like, come on. <laughs> come on, people. It's not the greatest film ever. Um, having said that, I do really like Shawshank. And I look, I clearly, personally, I would clearly take Shawshank and Shining over this in terms of King adaptations. Um, but yeah, I was like pleasantly surprised. Yeah. The IMDb top 250 is kind of, I mean- do you really put any? Do you put any stock in that at all, mate? Well, well, not at all, because putting stock in that would involve putting stock in people, and you know I'm not big on that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm so honestly, I'm so happy that I finally actually saw this, and I feel sad that I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't have been forced to by a patron. So, thanks, mate. Like when we put it on the other night here, my other half was like, "How long? How long's it been since you've watched this?" and because, yeah, you just assume that people have seen it. It's, kind of, it's weird that we hadn't. Yeah, I know. My wife, who hasn't seen a lot, had seen this, <laughs> and yet I hadn't. <laughs> All right. What are we getting to next week, mate? <sighs> I can't even say it. I think we're getting some rock action on, aren't we? <laughs> are we going to go cruising in the jungle, my friend? Uh, I think that's the plan. I'm really curious about this. Why? Well, because- Movies based on rides aren't a good thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're just not. It's the same as, like, movies based on games, you know, like fucking Battleship or, you know, let's say they made a Hungry Hungry Hippos movie. Like, how fucking great would that be? They Don't tempt tempt fate, (laughs) mate. They'll do it. But Disney did a very good job with the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. It is actually a very good fun adventure film. Now- Obviously, this has The Rock in it, which to me already sets the tone for you. It already puts it in your mind that this is not going to be a great movie. This is going to be kind of a silly family action film. But it has Emily Blunt in it. Exactly. So, I am very curious to see where this film lands. Uh, My expectations aren't high at all. I haven't seen a single trailer. I don't know if you have, but I'm curious. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I am not curious at all. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll also hopefully- I know that at the end of last week, uh, we said that we were getting to the new Shyamalan this week. Unfortunately, that didn't happen because of scheduling. But I think uh, Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs is keen to hop on and do a bonus set with us about that. So, hopefully that might come out in the next week as well. Good for people who ride or die for Shyamalan (laughs) because I think this has buyer beware written all over it. Well, I've seen it already. So, I don't want to say too much. (laughs) Well, no, you shouldn't because you're going to do an episode on it. It's a mixed bag, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. 
Oh, 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 oh,